We're so excited to have Kyle Petty, uh, former NASCAR driver, NASCAR owner on the show. Kyle, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. So your family was the, is really the first family in NASCAR and was there when NASCAR started. I mean, Lee Petty. So, and then went from Richard, your father, you yourself, and then the rest of your family. But talk about the beginning. I loved your book, how you spent a whole chapter on talking about where did this NASCAR start? Yeah, you know, my grandfather started in, in, in 49. My, my dad came along in 58, I came along in, in 79, and then Adam came along in 98. So we've always been here. Uh, and it seems like I always was, was a part of it in some way, even listening to my granddad's stories and stuff. and. I tell people all the time, my granddad, uh, he raised tomatoes and pigs and, and, and I like to politically correct say that he was in the beverage transportation business, which means he <laughs> ran moonshine. So that, that's okay. Uh, and that's the way the sport started. That's the way the sport, we were starting talking the other day in that very first race at Charlotte, about 80 or 90% of the participants, whether they were owners, whether they were drivers, crew members, or fans, uh, were in the, in the moonshine business in some way, shape or form. That's just where the way it was in the South. But, uh, my granddad decided to become a full-time racer. Uh, and when he made that decision, that pretty much set the, set the trail and set the path for, for my dad's life, for my life, for Adam's life. And, and where we continue to go right, right down the road with NASCAR. Yeah, you talked about how everyone knows Richard in terms of your father, in terms of being winning 200 races, the king of stock, stock racing. But your uncle was an engine builder. You had another, you know, your whole fit. This was a family business. Yeah, we're from the rural south. Uh, and I, I tell people, I say it all the time. I grew up in a community uh, where everybody was, was dairy farmers, tobacco farmers, chicken farmers. We just happened to raise race cars on our farm. But it was a family farm. It was a family farm. My, my, my uncle ended up, he tried to drive, but he ended up building building engines, uh, built engines for my grandfather when he won races, built engines for my dad, Pete Hamilton, so many different guys. Uh, their first cousin, Dale Inman, became the crew chief. Uh, all those guys are in the Hall of Fame. My dad, <laughs> my granddad, my uncle, my cousins. Everybody's in the Hall of Fame when you look at this sport in those first few years. Um, you know, out of the first 10 years of the sport, my granddad won 50 races and three championships. He won 30% 30% of the championships. So we've always had a presence in this sport, always had a presence in this sport. And then my dad took it to to another level. But it was a family. Uh, it's, it's a family business. It's just a southern family business. It just happens to be racing. I liked how you talked about when you were a child and you drove around and you went to the races in the summer. It was like your summer vacation was just going to NASCAR races, but your mom would always take you to museums, drive you to education, all those things. So you really got to see all of America when you're a little kid going in these races. It must have been so much fun. It, listen, it was it was a blast. We didn't know we were learning. That, that That's the funny part. You know, you know I, I think it's always enjoyable to learn and, and to experience new things when you don't realize it's educational. Uh, you, you know what I mean? You, when, you, when you just think it's fun. We're going to the Henry Ford Museum. We're gonna see all these cars, man. You know, they got limousines, they got trucks, they got huge engines, this is so cool. Uh, you go to an art museum and it's like, oh my gosh, look at all these paintings, man. I've never seen this many paintings on the wall. That kind of thing. But my mom was, was a stickler for that kind of stuff because we did have an opportunity to travel. So if you had that opportunity, take advantage of that opportunity. And it, and it was always amazing to me to be in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, whatever. Uh, and we would start talking about something in class and I'm like, wow, I don't even have to study this. I've, I've been there. I know this one already, you know what I mean? That's, what, that's probably what got me through school to be honest with you. But it was, it was really amazing to think that you had been to some of these places uh, as you got older. When you were young, man, it was just an adventure. Every day was an adventure. 
you talk about in your book in terms of having a father who is viewed as the greatest that, that they do. And you're like, you're in a small company. I mean, like, again, it's like, what is Michael Jordan's kids, LeBron's kids, Tiger's kids? I mean, it's just difficult. And you're going to the same sport that he was involved in. Now, NASCAR is a little different because you have a lot of these families, you have a lot of fathers and sons who do it. So it might have been a little, a little easier, hard to say easier. But the fact is, the challenge of being Richard Petty's son and not just Cal Petty, uh, there's advantages and disadvantages. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, and, and we talked, I've talked about this with a lot of people with, uh, with Michael Waltrip as a brother, uh, with Dale Earnhardt Jr. as a son, um, with so many guys, Davey and those guys. Um, the, the thing is your father, uh, and, and the name opens the door, but once you get in, you got to close the door so you get to stay in and that, that's the, impo- that's the hard part. You know what I mean? Then, then that's back on you, no matter what your name is, that that's back on you. So um, but it, it and, and I tell people it seems strange. Yes. Yeah. You man, you were is a huge shadow. It's a huge shadow. You talk about Michael Jordan. You talk about LeBron, Tiger Woods. You talk about people like that. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas. You talk about greats in a sport. Muhammad Ali. The, the shadow cast is just a tremendous shadow. Um, at the same time, at the same time, um, you're connected closer to it because of your last name. But when you walk in that garage area, you're not the only guy standing in that shadow. There's nobody else in there that's won seven championships and 200 races either. <laughs> so you're in good company with with all these other guys that are chasing that one guy. Uh, so it, it was, I think that took some of the pressure off. In a lot of ways, it takes some of the pressure off if you let it and if you understand it, uh, of growing up with, with a guy at that level, at that level, because there's very, very few people in any sport that attain that level. And the one thing that's a little different between auto racing than maybe other sports, and LeBron is trying to hang on so he can play with his son, but rarely do you see fathers actually play each other. You, you mentioned the book. The funny story is that when Richard won his first race, or we thought he won the first race, Lee said, no, 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 I, I think I passed him. Like, I won the race. He didn't win that race. Yeah, but, and, and that, that was my grandfather. You know, it was all about cash. If you read the story, you know the whole reason for protesting was so they'd make an extra 250 bucks that day. That's kind of the way it the, the way it played out. The company made more. And that's back to the family farm and it being a family business. It was as much about business and making money as it was about driving. But, you know, my dad raced against his grand, his father, and then he got to race against me. I raced against my father. I ran a race against Adam. So it, it, it's funny in a sport. This is unlike... The stick and ball sports, like you say, is probably closer to, to, to golf, really, when you get into it, um, because you can have a 25 or 30 year career in this sport. Um, you know, you can you can be here a long time. And if you're here a long time, that stretches from one generation to, to the next. And that that is, that's pretty cool when you get two or three guys from from when we used to go to the racetrack and it was my granddad, my dad, myself. And Adam, there were four of us at the racetrack. Uh, and, and, and that was freakish almost. You, you know what I mean? Just four of us walking around was almost freakish. But uh, we were very blessed to be in to be able to do that. Well, you won your first uh, ARCA race. They, they won an ARCA race in Daytona and when you were young. And that sort of just propelled you to start, okay, now you're in. Now you're really a driver. You've uh, talked about it a while. And I guess you said Richard didn't even let you run go-karts when you were younger. So just... Uh, no, no, he said go-karts are dangerous. Dangerous, that's what he said. Um, but but he let me have a motorcycle and he put me in a race car and never took me anywhere, just took me to Daytona. Now, that's dangerous. That's da- I, I don't know what his definition of danger was, but... Um, yeah, he just never let us have go-karts. But again, we lived in the country, so we, we knew how to drive cars and we drove cars when we were seven or eight years old. 
Uh, there was a local local store that, that my mom would send us up about a mile and a half down the highway, a mile and a half to get some bread and Coca-Cola uh, for dinner or whatever we needed if she was running short on stuff because she didn't have time to go. But all the kids in the neighborhood drove. Everybody knew how to drive. <laughs> Our closest neighbor was about a mile away, but everybody knew how to drive. So uh, I didn't think that was odd. Now, looking back on it in this day and time, it's extremely odd. It's extremely odd to see a seven-year-old at the wheel of a car driving down the road like this. You know what I mean? To to go get to go get groceries. But uh, at that time, it really and where I grew up, it, it really wasn't odd. So um, uh, you have so many stories in this book, Swerve and Die. And I think one of the funnest stories I read like three times was when you one you actually came. I think it was at second place, and you had uh, some advantages at the Dover racetrack. I just want to tell that quick story. It is I just couldn't believe that story. It was hilarious. Yeah, some advantages was we cheated. Um, we took all the weight out of the car. We ran light that day. And and the funny part was I, I did a, a show with Daryl Walter not long ago, and and uh, finally spilled the spilled the beans and told him that we were we were cheating that day. He thought my dad had gotten the car. He thought Richard Petty was driving. And he's like, Junior, you got to tell me Richard's in that car, right? You know, and and it was like crazy. But and if I'd have known how to drive, I'd have beat him and won the race. I just didn't know how to drive. Um, but it was, uh, you know, that's back when NASCAR was a little bit different game. And um, we, I, I can say it's cheating now. At the time, we just looked at bending the rules a little bit, you know what I mean? But that was a blatant break for us uh, because we couldn't get the weight back in the car. That's always a bad thing. It's okay to fudge, but you got to get it back to where it needs to be. And we couldn't get it back. And you just didn't think you were going to be up so high that people were going <laughs> to, no one was going to care. And this suddenly you no, We thought we'd be about 14th or 15th. I don't know how we ran up there. It was, it was fascinating. It, listen, I was as surprised as the people sitting in the grandstands or as, as Daryl Altrup was. And then you had this transition where you suddenly took over Petty Enterprises to some extent. Um, it was that transition where your dad is retiring, you're in the race, and that so there's extra pressure. You have all these people who work there. Your your dad is stepping back from it. That was it must have been such a challenge in terms of I'm trying to learn to be a good driver. I have to run a whole operation, do all these things. Yeah, that's that's a hard place, you know. And, and I think we see it right now with uh, with Brad Keselowski, who is bought into Roush Racing. Uh, to drive a race car and run a business is extremely hard when you're racing against people that just focus on driving race cars. Uh, automatically, they're one one step on you. They've got one step towards the basket on you uh, because they've got one focus. Um, and it was tough. It was tough. But again, again, and it comes back to 1949. It comes back to it's a family business. And that's what you had to learn. You had to be able to run the business, drive the race cars uh, and make things happen. So I, I think it was it was the natural progression. It just came a little bit sooner than I wanted it to. It seems like you always like to do a lot of different things. I mean, you have a guitar right behind you on the set right here. If people are on the Zoom call, otherwise we're on the radio right now. But, you know, you just didn't play music. You were opening for concerts. You were, I mean, it was pretty exciting in terms of uh, Randy Travis, Oak Ridge Boys, uh, just while you were racing. That must have been so much fun to be involved in racing. And you even said the drivers you were racing against came to see you the night before. Yeah. And then... <laughs> That's the crazy part. Um, I could keep them out as late as I was, so they didn't get any sleep either. But the, but the bet, you know, the, the fun part was I had an opportunity. Racing afforded me that opportunity. It gave me uh, a platform that I could go do something and try something different. Uh, and it was fun. It was fun. And then it almost became a job. And and I don't want two jobs. Uh, I, I wanted to be a race car driver, and because I never considered that a job, so. Uh, I kind of cut back on that and, and went back to driving a race car. But the music stuff was fun. I've always, I've always, and I tell people, I, I want to be that, 
that guy when I'm 102 years old and, and I'm sitting in the, in the assisted living home and everybody's no. sitting around talking and somebody says, anybody here ever drive a race car? Yeah, I did. Anybody here ever play music? Yeah, I did. Anybody ride a bull? Yeah, I did. Anybody jump out of a plane? Yeah, I did. You know, I want to I want to I want to have those experiences. Um, and, and listen, I'm not going to be the best musician. I'm not going to be the best bull rider. I'm not going to be the best of a lot of different things. Um, but at least I tried. Uh, and that gave me a story to write in this book, Swerver Dies. So that that was good. Uh, and, and hindsight, I've just been preparing for this book for a long time. I liked how you described your driving style as someone who you appreciated the car. You saw everybody who worked, the engineers, and you're like, I don't want to get in the way of this great car that everybody worked in. I'm going to drive it. I'm a fast, I know how to drive fast. That's what I'm going to do. That's my style of driving, as opposed to other people who sort of like want to take over the car, like I know best, those type of things. Yeah, you know, I think the car is just an extension. Um, You know, you hear guys talk all the time playing golf or playing baseball, and um, they swing with their whole body. Um, they throw with their whole body. They shoot. You know, it's not just, they're not just pushing. And I, I think that's the way I looked at, at, a, at a car. But I appreciated the craftsmanship that went into building the thing. I, I appreciated the hours that went into designing the thing. Um, because, and, and that was part of my, my upbringing. My dad made me work in each part of the shop to gain that appreciation and understand what a car was. Uh, and understand, you know, when you go out and tear them up, this is what you've torn up. You've torn up a lot of hours of work for somebody and they've got to put it back together or you've got to get in there and put it back together. So um, I think that appreciation makes you a little bit different driver. We don't have that as much today uh, because the sport has just changed so much. You can't expect these guys to be in the shop working on these cars. They're out selling products, uh, just like I'm selling this book. They're out selling products on a daily basis. You you know what I mean? That's their job. So, I think as, as you look at it, it's just a different time, but I enjoyed the time I was there. And then you spend a, a large portion of the book talking about your Adam Petty, your son, uh, t- talking about how he just had this love of racing and how you know you saw you know Richard, your father, was just you know, enamored with him and just work with him and, and how he how you he grew up in the sport. You loved working with him. You didn't you didn't push him to do it. I mean, you you actually literally pushed him away and said no 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 don't do it. And then you know he kept coming back and wanting to do it and and just your appreciation with him in terms of the bond you had. Yeah, you know I, I think it's it's that that we're all we were all allowed to be different people. Um, you know I think my granddad allowed my dad and my uncle to, to be to go in whatever direction they wanted to. Um, my dad allowed myself and my three sisters. And uh, when Adam came along, you know, he and his siblings were allowed to go do what they wanted to. Uh, Adam wanted to race and then he did. Uh, and then he came back one day and he did. Uh, and then when he came back the second time, it's like, okay, let's go do this, you know, that kind of thing. But because then you knew there was commitment and you knew that's what he chose, not what you you stared him towards, what he chose. Um, so it, it is fun to see that in a kid. Uh, it's fun to see that in anybody, you know, that they love what they're doing. Um, and, and I think that was the deal. When he came back, it wasn't it wasn't racing. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a sport. It was a love. It was a passion. And, and I think you have to have that to compete. And he had that. And he won his first just like you. He won his first ARCA race. <laughs> that was like just following in those footsteps. I mean, he definitely had the skill and, and the talent and everything and the passion. Yeah, that was a weird deal, man. When when I go one. And 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 uh, seventy nine and do it. And he does it twenty almost twenty years later. And does the same thing. It's like ooh, that's a little eerie right there. But uh, it was amazing, man, to watch him drive. You know, I, I think anybody sees that when you see your kids start doing things. You think, man, where'd they learn that from? How they <laughs> how they pick that up? Um, and and it, it's fascinating. It, it is really fascinating. But 
I, I think that's uh, my dad went in Daytona in '79, and and Adam went in those that race. Uh, those two moments are the two proudest moments for me uh, uh, as a son and as a father, uh, being a part of somebody else's team, and that that was a great day for us. And then to honor Adam's memory, you started i mean you talk about the cow petty charity ride where you're riding yeah. a, well i liked how you said you first started riding motorcycles across the country and you're staying at uh sleeping on the side of the road now you're staying at five-star hotels and stuff like that but it's like such a great ride it raises so much for charity but then the victory junction starting uh victory junction the uh, uh camp for kids for chronically ill children and the stories you had from those and i loved how it has a, a nascar theme the whole camp it must be so cool and you were worried that kids were even going to come there and now you you know you, you can't have so you, you have them all the time yeah you know it was crazy we started the ride in 95 we went to children's hospitals and then when adam's accident happened and in, in, in 2000 uh we he and i had been to a, a camp boggy creek in florida we had been to a camp one of paul newman's serious fun camps and i had been fortunate and blessed uh, to be able to run some sports car races and drive with paul so when adam's accident happened it was just let's build a camp so we built a camp and uh you know, it's since 2004, when we opened the gates, we've seen over 100,000 kids. Oh, my gosh. Uh, totally free of charge. And it's just, it is a fascinating place. Uh, and they have Adam's smile on their face. So I know he's still he's still with us in some way, shape, or form. So that's that's pretty cool, too. But the camp is just, you know, I, I look back, and, and I, I talk about it in the book. You look back, my grandfather raced, my father raced, I raced, Adam raced. And in the end, we won championships and we won races. But... It really just give us a platform for this time to build a camp to help other people. Um, and I, I think that that will be the biggest legacy probably of a part of our family is um, that, yeah, they took a lot out of racing, but they gave something back to society. And, and I think that is that it's, it's not that hard to do. I say that um, because we lost a son and raised a hand and said, hey, we're going to build a camp. And a lot of other people, Dale Jarrett, Bobby Labonte, uh, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, all those guys, Dale Jr. Yeah, let's help. We'll help you, man. And then race fans did it. Uh, and it's still going strong. Still going strong all these years later. Uh, and it's going to be here a long time after we're all all gone somewhere else. And there'll be kids that are still enjoying it, I pray. And not to say that other sports and athletes are not like fan-friendly involved, in, but NASCAR's just reputation in terms of their involvement. First of all, you're pushing your your products. You're seeing, you're getting interviewed after a race and remembering ten different products you have to mention. But your interaction with the fans, going to the children's hospitals, all those things you do, it just lends itself to what the NASCAR drivers have been for, since it started. Yeah, you know, and, and that, you're exactly right. Our sport has always been upfront about it. Um, we're salesmen. You know, I'm, listen, I'm here selling Swerve or Die. That's why I'm on your radio show. That's why you had me today. We're set. That's that's what we do. But but the thing is, the the, the thing is, it's a it's a circle, and and we've talked about it a million times. I drive a race car, but I need money to drive a race car, so I talk to a sponsor. Okay, the sponsor needs to sell his product, so he pays me money to sell his product. The people that buy his product are the fans. So I'm nice to the fans, so they buy the product, so they give me the money so I can drive the race car, and I'm nice to the fans so they can sell the product. And it just is, is that circle. And, and that's the whole point. I don't work for the owner of the team. I work for the fans. I work for the fans because ultimately the fans generate the income from product sales that allow me to go drive a race car, whether that be Coca-Cola, whether that be M&Ms, uh, whether that be Pennzoil. It doesn't make any difference what the sponsor is. If they're not selling their product, they're not going to put their name on the side of your race car. So 
Uh, I think we've always been fan friendly because of that. We always knew that the guy that you were shaking hands with, that the that the family you were taking a picture with, that the autographs you signed uh, came back to you tenfold in so many different ways. That's a, that's that's tremendous. Now. You have a lot of opinions about NASCAR now. I mean, you know, people are saying it's, uh, you know, you have Formula One coming on and you're, you're, on, you're on TV everywhere. You're on every single network in terms of talking about different things. Where do you, where do you see, what do you think, think NASCAR has to do to, is it, you know, look, all sports are losing viewership. All sports are losing attendance. So it's not just NASCAR itself. But what's NASCAR have to do to sort of stay relevant, stay current, stay hot, those type of things? First, I think it has to be true to itself. Um, it, it has to, to do what it does uh, and do what it does best, uh, which is put on a show, put on a show on Sunday afternoon uh, to put on a race. And, and the one thing that has never changed in motorsports, never, never changed in motorsports, um, is the equipment changed, um, the people that do it changed, the fan base changes, whether it's on radio or TV, whether nobody shows up, that, that changes. But the one thing we do, we start at a white line and we run around and we end at the same <laughs> white line eventually. That never changes. Now, if it's good, people will come. And if it's not good, people won't come. It, it's like that with anything. We're back to product sales. If, if the book's not good, people aren't going to buy it. If Coca-Cola tastes bad, people aren't going to buy it. But if it's good, man, people buy it. I think the sport has come full circle and it's back to where it's good again. Um, it doesn't have to be great. There has to be great moments, just like there's great moments in the NFL or the NBA or, or baseball or golf. There's great shots. But every tournament and every game is not the seventh game of the World Series that goes down to the ninth inning. It, we, you know, fans expect events instead of games sometimes. Fans want something fantastic instead of a game. Some, some games are just games, man. Some games are just yeah. games. Um, and, and, and I think that's it. We've gotten so used to the highlight reel that's all we want is highlights. So I think the sport right now has to be true to what it is. I think this new car makes the sport great again. I think it's brought it back to a, to a stage. I think now the sport is experimenting with taking the sport to people. And what I mean by that is we went to the LA Coliseum this year. Um, you know, the audience we had, uh, the Latino Hispanic audience, the, the blacks uh, that came out, such a diverse crowd. We've never had that diverse a crowd at a, at a stock car race, at a NASCAR race. If you can't come to us, we'll bring it to you. Next year, we're going to the streets of Chicago. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's a street race. We've never had a street race in NASCAR per se. Not at this level, not at the cup level. So when you look at it, um, it is, it's like, we'll bring, the, we'll bring the race to you. We'll bring the race to Jersey, man. We'll bring the race to, to Miami. We'll take the race to LA. Where you wanna, where you wanna race? You wanna race, we'll bring it. Um, and I think that's the way NASCAR is looking at it. I think that expands the fan base, but at the same time, it emboldens the fan base that it has to say our sport is growing. Our sport is relevant. Our sport needs to be here. Uh, and I think all motorsports is doing it. You talked about Formula One. I, we can throw in drag racing. We can throw in IndyCar racing. We can throw in local dirt tracks. Man, there seems to be a resurgence and and where the sport and the people that are paying attention to the sport, we are never going to be. We're never going to be the NFL. We're never going to be uh, Major League Baseball. Um, those those are just ingrained in the souls of Americans. I, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Stock car racing is for a large percentage, but not everybody. But not everybody. 
Um, and you've got to understand that we can't be all things to all people, but we have to be the best we can be to the people that believe in what we're doing. Uh, and I think that's what NASCAR has to embrace. And I think that's what they, they're, they're beginning to do more of. Yeah, the one good thing about NASCAR is that it is a summer-type sport, whereas baseball is their number one competition. Now, there's certainly the NBA and, and those things, but you're not going against, of course, your playoffs are in the fall against football, but, I mean, it would be nice if your season would end, like, in August, but but that's so, like, you know, you're on TV, there's baseball, and then there's NASCAR. It's a great opportunity to compete. During the pandemic, I went and saw Daytona. I went to Homestead. It was my first races I went to, and people were like, oh, how was it? I'm like, oh, my gosh, so you put your headset on, you're listening to the radio, you're in it. That was over in a second. It was such a fantastic experience exciting thing to be there and following it like that yeah you know and nascar did a great job of coming back during the pandemic uh being one of the sports that could come back and listen you you strap in that car you you are socially distanced six feet away from your competition <laughs> all the time man uh that's the way it was so that that was good we had a sport that you could come back so it gained some new fans there because it was the only sport on tv for a while it was the only sport that, that was going on but it is it is, and I, I, I tell people a lot, it's like it's like hockey. Um, you appreciate it more in person. Right. Yes, it's right. a great TV show. It is. It's great on TV. It's great to listen to it on the radio, the visuals, the way they, the way they describe things. But at the same time, man, there's nothing like the thunder of those engines hitting you in the chest. There's nothing like having that many people sitting in a grandstand, 70, 80,000 people around you at a sporting event. Um, so it, it's, it's a... It's visceral. It's very around. You know, you you feel it. You feel that excitement. You feel that energy. So, uh, if you've not been to one, at least try one. At least try one before you not mark it off your list. At least try one. I couldn't believe how loud it was. I mean, I had those head. I had the head the headphones on or whatever they want to call them, earmuffs. But yeah. I just couldn't believe how loud. And you just you did feel it. I mean, it was. It's just amazing to feel that. Yeah. It, it is, man. And and listen, and that'll change. You you talk. You 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 ask. Uh, earlier about you know that that I have opinions that'll change because th this world's going electric uh, and at some point in time there's an E formula an E series uh, for Formula One cars uh, that they already run GM companies like that have already said they're going to build complete fleets of cars by 2035 I think or 40 right along in there that are electric so you know that, that noise is going away uh, but the racing won't go away again I'm back to what hasn't changed is starting that white line and the ending of that white line. And when they did it with stock cars, stock cars, it was a quiet sport then. Then it went to loud race engines and it'll just go back to quieter cars. Uh, but the sport will continue to change and evolve and be what it needs to be. Kyle, I know you're super busy. I really appreciate it. We're down here. We're broadcasting in West Palm Beach, which tons of race car fans around here, as you oh, know. Yeah. And uh, they, they love it. Sometimes I think they take I-95. They, they practice. When you see some accidents all down the road, it looks like a NASCAR race. But anyway, Swerve and Die, it's in all bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anything. This is a fun book. I don't care if you even don't like NASCAR or whatever. Read the book. It's fun. The stories you have are great. Just full of great, interesting stories. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Kyle, for coming on. Thank you, man. Thank you for helping me sell this thing because it's it's a labor of love. I will I will say that, and I really appreciate people reading it. So thank you.